Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for today's uh, webinar uh, for the Transform Finance Investor Network, where we'll be presenting the work of Gary Community Investments and focusing on the topic of supercharging place-based impact investing. It's a pretty cool title that we came up with, and you'll see from the presentation from Matt and Luis uh, why we decided to go with that. Uh, I would encourage you to mute yourselves, please, so that we minimize the background noise, uh, and I will do so on my end as well. If you are using the, the application from uh, uh, Cisco WebEx, you will see that there is a chat box up towards the top where that you can use to communicate either with me or with uh, the entire group. Uh, and uh, you can um, you can put the uh, you can put your comments or questions there. If you are uh, calling in, uh, uh, there will be a couple of moments where I will try to unmute everyone, and uh, we can take your questions that way. But uh, it is preferable if you do it through the through the app. And uh, also, if you're calling in by phone, you will have access to the slides for the presentation uh, from the um, the Dropbox link that we had placed uh, in the in the invitation to the to the webinar. So I encourage you to follow along using uh, uh, using that. Reclaim here. Great. So uh, I'll give a very, very brief introduction today because I really want to turn to all the content that Matt and Luis have uh, for us, again, joining us from uh, Gary Community Investments, respectively Matt as Vice President of Strategic Assessment and Luis as Investment Director. And uh, by way of a very quick context, uh, we had a webinar a couple of weeks ago with Greg Nation from uh, Kenny Earth and with Anair Benami from Candid Group. Uh, where we went through uh, the approach of um, the Kenya Earth family office and Candide that works with, uh, uh, with the investments of two families on how they are approaching the, the, the complete activation of their portfolio for, for impact. And we want to look today with uh, uh, Gary Community Investments at how they are doing this and moving all their assets in the context of the sunsetting of their foundation and how they're doing it by taking a very explicit place-based approach in, uh, in Colorado in their case, which I think is something that, again, we uh, many of you are interested in and we have explored uh, previously. Um, we'll go through quite a thorough presentation. I will leave it to Luis uh, and uh, to Matt to give, us the, um, to give us the highlights of what we're going to be running through. Again, I'll encourage you to get yourself on, uh, on mute meanwhile, if you don't mind. Um, one more thing, let's see, a very quick reminder for the Investor Network and for our guests. Uh, Morgan Simon's book is uh, coming out October 4th. It's called Real Impact. You will find uh, information on that at morgansimon.com. I encourage you to take a look. It goes through the transformative finance principles and a lot of the work that Morgan has been doing for over a decade in, uh, uh, in impact investing. And uh, we will soon also have a presentation on uh, uh, on the content of the of the book on a uh, on a subsequent webinar. 
So with that, it's my pleasure to uh, introduce you to uh, Luis, who is going to start uh, to start us off, and then uh, we'll turn it over to uh, to Matt. Luis, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Andrea. It's it's a real pleasure to be um, sharing with you a little bit about our organization, and especially I think um, Matt and I were chatting about how. Uh, how the title really looked cool. So I don't know <laughs> if we are as cool as the title, but um, we're, we'll, we will do our best to walk you through um, what this tool of uh, the transformative impact grid has meant to us. And then uh, we'll share also with you um, kind of our journey through um, innovation. So with that said, I wanted to make sure that we um, had a moment to share with you who we are so I have been with the organization for about five years. Uh, before joining Gary Community Investments, I had the opportunity to uh, build a couple of companies, and my role within Gary Community Investments has been really to support um, the for-profit side of the house, and we'll tell you a little bit about our structure, and then collaborating with Matt in, in specific projects um, related to different investments. Matt? Hi, everyone. Matt Berry. Um, my role here is focused on a couple things. One, trying to understand and measure the impact of our portfolio across uh, the spectrum of investments from uh, grants all the way through market rate, um, using that to lend toward organizational learning, and then I also help manage uh, a program that's focused on democratizing data and information for decision making. So this is a kind of ancillary program we have um, focused on um, geoanalytics and uh, spatial research. Um, I've been at the foundation and company now 10 years, so I'm actually one of the longer tenured folks, and prior to that I was um, in regional planning doing long-range forecasting and demographic work. Excellent. So um, let's just go through very quickly the goals for today's webinar. Um, we definitely want to get you um, kind of up to speed a little bit with who we are, what we do and then jump into the transformative impact grid um, and its current applications, and then how that tool actually helped us really accelerate the way that we're thinking about innovation and some of the investments that we're doing throughout our innovation practice. And then lastly, um, hopefully, some of the takeaways that you get out of this conversation are how can you not only apply or modify the grid for your own organizations, but also uh, how can some of these innovation strategies could be replicated in other settings. So with that said, um, Gary Community Investments has been, it's, we're based here in Denver, Colorado. We have been around for about 60 years in different shapes and forms, but it wasn't until 2012 that our founders, uh, Sam and Nancy Gary, decided to um, put together the foundation that had been operating for a long time with the new creation of an investment company. And both entities um, jointly share this vision, that all children in Colorado will have the opportunity to grow up healthy and become productive members of their communities. And what we do is we try to find philanthropic and for-profit investments to really advance the vision of, again, both entities. Um, we um, have some uh, unique aspects that Matt will share a little bit with you, but some of the things that we really strive for are um, 
kind of walk the talk according to these guiding principles. So we are um, a very data-driven organization. We hold ourselves accountable in every investment that we do, either philanthropic or for-profit. We have a set of benchmarks, a set of um, evaluation um, and, and success measures that, um, that we hold all, also our investments uh, our, and our investees accountable, but we do that also for ourselves. Uh, we're always trying to leverage our impact. Um, so we always are seeking partnerships and um, other funders that can help us drive um, the agenda to uh, improve the lives of low-income children and their families in Colorado. We also um, have this focus on innovation, but we continue to support evidence-based programs. And then the last thing is that in every investment that we are considering, we really look for why DCI? What is a real unique role? And is there a way that our different types of capital could re really catalyze um, that investment in a different way? So with that, I'll turn it over to Matt um, so he can give you a little bit more specifics about how we are structured and our key um, elements for the organization. Great. So. Uh, maybe a little kind of big picture background on Gary Community Investments and who we are. Um, Gary Community Investments was originally um, an oil and gas company and a operating foundation. The operating foundation was called the Piton Foundation, um, and it was funded annually by an oil and gas company. And about four years ago, the oil and gas company sold its uh, primary asset, which was a refinery in Oklahoma, and Sam Gary our founder and obviously the namesake of Gary Community Investments, always had a vision that business should be doing uh, good for the community. And I think he, we, we've talked to him countless times about what that meant to him. And I think the opportunity to convert a company from an oil and gas and an extractive industry into one that is uh, creating additive value for the community is something that um, is essentially the realization of, I think, a career-long dream for him. And so what that, what that meant to us was essentially having uh, a foundation that had a little bit of a larger endowment, but then almost an equally sized for-profit investment vehicle focused around the same mission. And that really triggered for us uh, a, a strategic exploration of, well, how do we achieve this vision knowing that we now have this expanded toolbox? Um, this is a new day for us. How do we re-envision what we're doing? We look back at the years of history that we had invested in the community, and we've done everything from gang prevention to healthcare reform to ed reform to affordable housing development. Every type of solution you could think about that's trying to advance place-based change, we probably had some um, role in trying that as an investment strategy. And so we took the step back and said, well, what, what, what does success look like for us? And really landed on a two-generation strategy saying, the kids are the ones we care about and we care about the youngest children which have the highest kind of ROI on investment, we know that if we can get kids early and reduce the disparities between low-income and uh, middle and upper-income kids, that we have the opportunity to set, this, set a different life course for them. That only happens if the families that they're born into and the communities in which they live are also thriving. And so in doing that, we landed on these four outcomes, which you can see here. One focused on school readiness, youth, um, youth, in, youth in career, uh, youth, youth really focuses on college and career readiness. Then we kind of roll into the family economic security and community development. So those are the four big pillars of our work. Uh, Luis will be talking in a little bit about 
our innovation strategy, which is really uh, anchored in school readiness, but we're excited to pivot over the you know, next several years into uh, strategies that are connecting to the other outcome areas. Within the, the general kind of operating principles of what we do, um, obviously invest, and so we're investing in uh, grants, PRIs, um, refundable loans, et cetera, all the way up through to private equity and debt. Um, we conduct research and we fund research related to the issues we care about. Uh, we're supportive of uh, policy changes that are required to enable the types of uh, outcomes we want to see occur, and then engagement. So Luis and our other directors and myself are all playing an active role in the community as facilitators, conveners, uh, building collaborative networks. And again, that's probably a pretty uh, unique element to being place-based is the opportunity to play that role embedded in the community and the change we're trying to see. So we're not doing this from a distance. We're actively engaged in the communities that we're trying to support. And we'll spend a little bit of time on, on this slide. Um, it's obviously just a bunch of words, but um, I think it's an important one to talk through about some of the attributes of who we are. One is, as I said earlier, we're positioned to use everything from philanthropic uh, grants all the way through um, debt, equity and debt uh, instruments to, to advance our mission. Um, in addition to that, we've also committed um, all of our capital outside of Colorado to impact as well. So we're working with the third-party advisor, and we've converted now up to 90% of all of our assets are an impact fund. So that's across all asset classes. And we have some cool stories that we could share on this call, or you could reach out to Luis or I to talk about um, how we've been able to leverage some of those out of Colorado, seemingly distant uh, investments to our mission, which has been really exciting. And I think Luis will have a, a concrete example when we get into innovation work that we're doing. We're place-based. Uh, we've always had a focus in Colorado. The majority of our investments that are touching the ground are focused in Metro Denver. We, have a, um, we, we focus more at the state level around policy and advocacy and systems change, but most of the investments, when we put them on a geographic map, are focused in Denver. And again, that gives us the ability to think um, critically about the role that we play beyond the investment. It also gives us the ability to have very measurable outcomes that we're tracking. So we're not working um, in kind of an abstract space. We have tangible community-level indicators that we're tracking that we want to see change and hopefully help move the needle around related to the outcomes that we're tracking. Um, I mentioned the four outcomes that lead to this portfolio effect that we're focused on, the kind of anchor with little kids, but we also know that we need to support the families and communities around them. Um, one of the aspects that we got really excited about when we were able to re-envision our strategy is how to think of philanthropy as an investment. And we've always been data-driven and we've had this long-standing data program, but we really hadn't built out a solid framework around how we do impact evaluation related to our own work. And so about four years ago is when I came into this role. Uh, we have some other colleagues here who are working on learning and impact evaluation. We've really been focused on how do we create the right types of due diligence, the right impact standards. Uh, we now have what we call an impact term sheet related to every investment we make that's board approved. Um, we're setting clear definitions of success with us and the investee, uh, outputs that we're tracking and outcomes related to the work um, that we're supporting. And we're now, those, those data are now coming in and um, actually my task kind of for the remainder of the year is focusing on how we roll up that type of information to understand portfolio level impact. Um, the sunsetting over the next 20 years is probably a key one that's going to kind of lead into the transformative impact grid and our innovation strategy. So Sam Gary, when he 
when he created the Gary Queen Investment um, Company and we re-envisioned Gary Queen Investments with the foundation, that's a mandate that over the next 20 years we move all of our assets into the community. Um, obviously a little bit difficult to do when we're beyond the foundation and have a private operating uh, company as well that's hopefully generating near market returns. Um, how, we, how we move that money into the community is something we're kind of constantly daily trying to understand how we might do that. Um, but what it means for us is we have a different sense of urgency than um, others may have, and especially in the philanthropic space, that we're constantly thinking about what are we doing today that's going to set the stage for larger investments in the future? Um, what are we doing from a community capacity standpoint to receive that capital? So that's, that's a longstanding kind of conversation, and I would say we're in the phase one of who knows how many phases we'll have over the next 20 years to um, work towards that sunset. But right now we're really focused on what are we doing from a stage setting standpoint? And as I get into the transformative impact grid, hopefully you'll see kind of how this tool lends to that. Um, and then the, the I talked about the capital committed towards impact. The final one is focused areas. We, we landed on these four long-term outcomes. Um, I think we went way too deep in the weeds and uh, landed on, I think we had somewhere around 80 strategies related to those outcomes. Um, we're trying to work our way out of those and um, the investment team uh, landed on a series of focus areas. So what we have is our long-term outcomes, but each of our directors has multiple focus areas in which they work. So in early childhood, for example, we're, not, we're focused on how we bring more capital to the early childhood sector and how we develop a stronger workforce, knowing that especially in the early care and education industry, uh, teachers are woefully underpaid, working conditions aren't great. And if these are the, um, if these are the teachers who are educating our next generation, how do we create the right um, sustainable jobs and wages for those, those types of workers. So we've kind of uh, honed our, our strategy into these focus areas, which are really three to five uh, year buckets of work that in, include engagement policy research and investment in order to try to accomplish that. As we kind of move toward the end of those, I imagine we'll enter into new focus areas, um, again, in that next phase of our work. One of the things that I, uh, I would add is that every investment that we consider um, independently of the type of capital goes through each of the investment directors or a couple of different forums where we're making sure that we're thinking about that investment in that holistic way. And if there's a way that we can leverage any of the other investments or relationships that we have that will be touching that investment in any way, we'll make sure that that's happening. So I think that um, the whole organization keeps um, the directors accountable to make sure that we're thinking always holistically and really vetting our ideas in different internal forums before we even present them to our investment committee or our board. Um, so with that, the one thing I'll say, uh, housekeeping item, if you can mute um, your uh, connections, um, that will be great and then Again, to you, Matt, so we talk about the transformative grid. Great. So the, the transformative impact grid is a, is a newer tool that we've developed. You want to just go to the next one. Um, as I said earlier, we were, we've been focused on trying to rethink how we do our uh, philanthropy and, and investments with more of a, a level of due diligence and rigor than we had in the past. And I would say over the last three and a half years, as someone who's been working on it, we've really honed the way that we present to our board the degree of diligence we do, the ways that the directors are looking at opportunities, the discipline we have around looking at everything from leadership to potential impact to the value add or the YGCI question. Um, but in doing all of that, 
I think we still had a hard time communicating. At the end of the day, what does this all roll up to? What are we what are we looking to do, and how do we how do we have an understanding of the in a simple term um, what type of impact we're trying to achieve? And so, about six months ago or so, we went through this process to develop the transformative impact grid, and it's really an internal tool that we're using um, to weight investments along. Um, two axes. One is this uh, degree of effectiveness for the organization, and the other is degree of transformative impact. Um, and as you can see in the highlighted green box in the top right, um, really the goal that we're pursuing on almost all of our investments, not, not every one, but the investments that kind of significance or sizable investments, we're seeking investments that are run by highly effective organizations um, that have the opportunity for transformative impact. I'll talk about what we mean by transformative impact here in a minute, but every every investment that we're placing essentially sits somewhere on these two axes, and the goal is to say, through our investment, how are we helping to, uh, to move them up and to the right? So the reason that we needed this, as I as I as I teed up a second ago, one is to sharpen our due diligence process and to form the right and to create the right conditions to have criteria that are meaningful for us. If if you can see the the graphic on the screen. Essentially, anything that we weight um, as being incremental in terms of potential impact or um, held within ineffective organizations is generally seen to be fairly unattractive for us. The sweet spot for us is really in this yellow box around opportunities that maybe aren't quite transformative uh, in impact yet, but through our capital, um, our connections, through our, our direct support, we could move them towards being transformative. And then for organizations that maybe, or ideas, I should say, which have the opportunities um, to be transformative, but really are um, potentially not even necessarily held within an organization or organizations in a very nascent space, um, how do we help move those uh, up to kind of an, a level of organizational effectiveness that allows the idea to become transformative? Um, so we've, it's sharpened our due diligence. Um, it's increased our discipline around investment decisions. We now, this is the first time uh, in our history that we've had a way to weight investments relative to each other. So if we're looking at three deals, we can put them on this grid and say, what, where both are they currently and where could they be? And based on that, that gives us the ability to think through um, which investment has the most promise from a long-term impact perspective. I think in the past, while we've done great due diligence, oftentimes we've, uh, they've kind of felt a little bit more one-off um, or a little bit in a vacuum in terms of an opportunity that comes in the door. Um, it also gives us a pre and post uh, ability to understand where the investment was when we, um, before we made it and um, where we see it on the grid afterward. Um, I'll get into it later, but I think that's, a, that's an area for continued improvement for us, um, how we develop the right uh, rigor around placement on the grid itself and how we're transparently working with our investees to understand uh, that pre and post um, placement. And then it's a tool. It's a tool to uh, encourage communication. And, and you know, I think our board has uh, received the, the transformative impact grid um, really well. When we kind of present an um, investment opportunity to our board, you know, and we lay out um, the, the, the value case, the risks, and our mitigants, um, all the things that we're doing. Um, this is the kind of the, the first visual that we've had that we can add to that investment that helps them see very clearly from an internal staff perspective, um, 
the current state of the investment and where we think it could go. And um, we've heard really good feedback from the board that this as a communication tool has been really um, helpful for them to understand when we're putting investments in front of them where they think it could, where they think it could go. I'll jump in very quickly there, Matt, before you move to the yep. next slide with a, uh, a quick comment. Um, uh, you, for those that have been following the webinars for a while, you might uh, hear some echoes in this presentation of the impact management approach that we've been talking about in the past. So not just measuring uh, the, the current status of an investment, but actually investing in a way that maximizes the progress along that delta. And uh, also we've mentioned uh, recently the impact management project that Bridges Ventures uh, has, been, um, uh, has been pushing over the last uh, year or so, and I believe they now have a vehicle that is live. And by way of question on that, um, maybe given the context of the Transform Finance Network, um, Matt or Luis, do you have a definition of transformative on your end? Um, we do, and I'll get that to, I'll get that um, here in just a couple of slides, so if you could wait um, right. just a minute, I'll do that. I, I did want to um, answer Eric's question around when we say investments, are we including grants? And, and yes, we absolutely are. And we talked with Andrea on the uh, planning call. In fact, most of our Colorado investments today are grants um, or PRIs, and we have started doing some direct investment, and we have um, our first debt investment. Um, Luis will talk about the work that we're doing from our innovation strategy to hopefully develop a much broader pipeline of for-profit and market rate opportunities that would hit the ground in Colorado. Um, but I would say to date, uh, the majority of our Colorado investments um, are, are grants. So yeah, thanks for the question and um, hopefully that clarified it. Yeah, I'm gonna skip that slide and go to the, the, the y-axis of the grid is looking around organizational effectiveness. Um, and so what we have is a rubric that we've developed to say, okay, Based on the opportunity, let's look kind of inside the walls of the organization to see um, the degree to which we think this organization is built um, well to execute on, on whatever kind of product or service or vision that it's trying to achieve, and does it have the internal uh, inner workings to achieve success? And the key factors that we use on that are essentially based on management, um, the degree to evidence-based impact that they have, and their financial st stability. And so we have um, a tool that we use um, to rate every investment based on those criteria. And that gives the, the kind of vertical value on the, on the Y coordinate. Um, to your question a, a minute ago about what do we mean by transformative impact, um, the three kind of main factors that we're thinking about when it comes to transformativeness is the degree to which the idea can scale. And so, you know, an example of an incremental impact may be a good place to start. If, if we were supporting an organization that had a consumer base of thousand individuals and through our investment we could increase that 10%. Um, that to us would feel incremental um, and may not have the sizable impact that we would need to achieve our vision. And so when we talk about scale, we're thinking about its ability to grow kind of, you know, exponentially um, to reach, to meet uh, the needs of larger populations of low-income children and families. Uh, when we talk about financial sus uh, sustainability, it's a little different than a balance sheet. It's more um, what is the kind of breadth of uh, funding that it has available to it? To what degree is government willing to pay for um, services and products? Um, how sound is the business model itself um, that it could generate revenues to 
um, stay afloat. So when on the on the primary on the I'm sorry on the former sheet around um, effectiveness, it's really around kind of operationally how is what is their balance sheet like? Like this is kind of more prospectively looking. What is the likelihood of sustainability when they're working at that higher level of scale? And then sector level of impact, and this is a this one's a little squishier. Um, it's really about influence and relevant within the relevance within the field that it's uh, taking place. So if this is a organization or an idea that we may fund that others around the field are going to take note of and potentially um, adapt their own practices or policies, those are the types of um, transformative changes that um, we're trying to support. I think a good example is an uh, investment that we made almost a decade ago uh, called the Urban Land Conservancy. And the Urban Land Conservancy is a community land trust um, or an urban land trust that essentially its sole purpose is to buy community land, hold the land in perpetuity, and then um, either develop or sell, develop, sell development rights for affordable housing or community uses. Um, that is a now, it was a $10 million investment made by us. Now I think they have a kind of working capital upwards of, a, of 100 million. Um, they now are a platform that other ideas are being born out of. The, um, I think they're recognized um, by lots of nonprofits who are looking for capital. Talk to Urban Land Conservancy first before you buy a building. Are you the right organization to own a building? Are you better to have a partner like Urban Land Conservancy um, helping you think through that real estate transaction. Um, and they're at scale. I mean, I think they now have um, over 20 properties in the borrowing capacity and um, to kind of, you know, double or triple that over the next 20 years. And so you can imagine in an area like uh, Metro Denver that's rapidly um, gentrifying and families are being displaced to have a platform like that or a vehicle like that um, that can be working alongside us and other philanthropic and impact investing partners to try to um, preserve and create um, affordable housing opportunities and community uses for the families and communities we care about is a, is a really powerful, sustainable platform. So that's an example of, I think, where we see a transformative impact um, type of investment. And so the, 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 way, that, the way that this works internally, I'll just spend a, a couple seconds on this. We're either trying to move organizations um, up, up the y-axis or across the x-axis um, when the investment team meets in their investment um, team meetings and the directors are going through their diligence, they're working through um, the kind of from here to there question. Where do these organizations sit um, today and where could they go? And again, this is kind of all the, all the diligence that they're doing internally kind of debating with each other but also working with a prospective investor or opportunity um, to get the information and detail they need to do an accurate placement on, on both of the axes. And then it gives us the ability to measure the success. And um, as I said a couple minutes ago, I think this is an area where we're um, just getting our feet wet in terms of how this actually happens. Um, we've just started using the grid in the last six months, so all we can do now is talk about what expected impact we hope to achieve through the investment. Um, the actual realization of that doesn't come through um, till, they, till we exit the investment or um, even more confounding, potentially years after the actual investment. I think this is kind of the nature of place-based investing, at least um, in our context, and it may be true for others, uh, regardless of the type of impact they're trying to achieve. Um, we have a term-limited investment, um, but the actual outcomes that they may be able to achieve or not achieve 
uh, may not be realized until five or ten years down the road. Um, you know, I think at this point uh, we haven't really kind of even gotten our heads around how we're going to uh, track actual impact over the course of the next 20 years for investments where we're no longer an active investor or a partner. Um, so right now we're kind of at a stage where we're looking at current level um, on the grid placement and then what our expected is. As investees who have gone through that kind of um, uh, the pre-work to set them on the grid, how, how we kind of evaluate them post is really something we haven't had the opportunity to do yet because we're just now using this as a tool um, for new investments. One of the areas that I um, would like to add a comment here, um, we also have a couple of investments on venture capital funds, specifically on one called the Colorado Impact Fund, uh, which is a $63 million venture capital firm. And uh, we, we became founding partners of that effort. And one of the things that we explore with any of the portfolio companies with Colorado Impact Fund is once you do the investment, you really need to plan the next kind of in the next three years or five years, where do you want to see that company actually go? And then you define kind of a couple of strategies to actually make that happen. So we are trying to benchmark some of those best practices that we are seeing in the venture capital world and apply them to all the investments that we're doing here at Gary Community Investments and then putting them on the grid and really try to identify what are some of the strategies that we really need to do to actually make that uh, leap happen. So the, the, the other advantage that this uh, transformative impact grid has had for us um, is it's opened the door for a conversation about what we mean by capacity building. And it's, it's created kind of a twofold conversation. One, around how we think um, about capacity building for an individual investment. So as I said earlier, groups that are um, potentially um, not super effective in the way they operate and don't have the potential for transformative impact are groups that we probably wouldn't take the risk or, or the capital to support capacity building efforts around. Um, but for those that are um, in the area of potential transformativeness, but they don't have the right kind of internal operating conditions or leadership to, to get there, those are really exciting opportunities for us to think about. How, how do we support business planning development, leadership succession or professional development, um, financial planning and modeling to help them get to that level of organizational effectiveness that would allow what they're currently doing to be more transformative. What it's also done for us, and I don't think we'll get too deep into it in this conversation, is if we place all of our investments within a focus area or outcome area on the same grid, and we even think about some of the uh, investments or activities that sit outside of um, what's happening within GCI, it starts to open up a conversation about what is sector level capacity building look like, where may we need to be supporting a new um, intermediary who provides uh, short-term loans, uh, for example, to uh, serve all the organizations that are working within um, a sector of our work? Or where should we be thinking about um, evaluation capacity that may meet the needs of all these types of organizations? So um, it works both at an investment and sector level. And again, I think as a communication tool, it really illuminates where um, we might be thinking about placing those types of investments. And then, it's, and then it's helped to set our, our, our direction. I think um, you'd have to ask the directors more than me, but I think we've really um, honed in on maybe we're making too many investments of a small size um, that are incremental in nature and actually at the end of the day may not create the transformative impact um, we're seeking. I think that was um, 
potentially a much harder conversation and um, potentially a much more personal conversation without something like a fairly objective tool to place investments. And so uh, Bruce Hoyt, our senior um, vice president of investments, worked with the investment team to go through a process of placing uh, a large portion of our portfolio on the grid. And I think in a, in a, in a pretty clear way, we started seeing well, we've made a lot of investments that maybe not may may not be transformative in nature. Um, we need to really limit either the amount of diligence, time, effort, and money we're spending on those types of investments, um, or not do them at all. And then it also opened the door, and uh, Luis will get into this um, in a much deeper way here in a minute. Um, we didn't really have much in the bottom right. We didn't have a lot of um, activity where there was kind of lower, non-effective organizations. Um, but, high, but ideas that had high impact for transformation. Um, and it, I think that kind of the vacancy within that portion of the grid or quadrant um, said, well, there's an opportunity here which we haven't really explored. And, um, you know, over the last year we've explored it in a big way. And so this tool is imperfect. Um, I think for anyone who works on impact evaluation and foundations, um, it's always a dance between how much time and energy we spend on kind of internal navel-gazing around impact and um, where we're trying to go and actual execution on the work itself. Um, I would say, kind of for someone who has a fair amount of perspective on that, um, I've welcomed this tool um, and I welcomed it in part for its uh, simplicity. I think it sometimes it's critiqued as being overly um, simplistic, but it also really does um, very visually and tangibly, I think, communicate um, internally to our, our internal team and board um, where we think this investment could go. But it does have challenges. One is that it's investor-driven and investor-centric. It's not fully transparent. Um, at the moment, we don't talk to our investee around where we see them on the grid um, and where we expect them to go. Um, I think that's a delicate conversation that um, I think we're still working our way into how we do that because um, there's going to probably be two different perspectives on that placement. Um, and right now, that's really something that we're doing through our diligence. Um, but not kind of having active conversations around um, here's where we see you, and especially when we're not funding, here's where you were placed, and here's why. Um, it is oversimplified when it's used as a standalone tool. Um, if you saw kind of the diligence in a proposal that would go to our board, there's lots of elements around um, diligence that aren't communicated through this tool alone. So um, it, it, it doesn't work if you just had this tool without the rest of the um, elements of impact practice that we have in place. Um, it's difficult to score depth of impact. A lot of the organizations that we're funding, and this was uh, to your question a, a little bit ago, Andrea, um, lots of what we're funding are kind of multifaceted. Lots of the opportunities we're funding are multifaceted, and they don't have kind of a single line towards transformative impact. Um, lots of times organizations have multiple products or services or strategies that we're running, um, and it's really hard for us to evaluate um, which ones of those are potentially going to be transformative or how they are in total. And at times we're funding um, not the entire organization but a specific program or opportunity within an organization to create impact. So I think it's, um, it's been a challenge for us to, to look at that, that depth of impact question. Um, it doesn't have a mechanism, mechanism to understand risk. Um, we have other tools and essentially we're kind of looking at um, likely risks and mitigants, but the, the tool itself doesn't, uh, doesn't really display any, any degree of uh, expected risk related to the investment. Um, and then it's really difficult to apply to policy. Um, 
the way that kind of policy change occurs. And uh, we, we as an organization believe policy to be highly transformative and essential in order to um, achieve our mission and vision. Um, funding organizations who are policy or advocacy shops or um, even specific campaigns through some of our C4 or um, lobbying support, how we look at those from a perspective of transformativeness, um, we don't have a great way to place that on the grid at the moment. Our team is working on a um, policy and advocacy version of this, um, but it really hasn't been developed or matured in the way that this one has yet. So I wanted to just give a quick example of implementation. So this is the type of rubric that um, we're using. So as I mentioned earlier, when we're looking at the effectiveness, um, we're asking questions about leadership, impact depth, quality of evidence, um, funding stability, um, the systems and resources uh, internally it has to carry out its mission, and then quote other. Um, and then on the, and the other is kind of the part of the subjectivity around this. I think that we've, we've been careful not to build this thing to be um, uh, uh, false precision, I guess. I think we, we don't, we can't just kind of put everything in, the, in these buckets if there's a, a glaring kind of opportunity we see that um, it may actually be more effective than we know or there's actually a big um, hole in the organization that doesn't come through these others. We wanted to leave room for that. Um, and then on transformativeness, it's uh, the existing scale and breadth. Um, we look at cost effectiveness, um, the financial sustainability question I talked about, its ability to have sector level influence, and then a KB index. Um, how many logical steps is the organization's activities away from the impacts that it hopes to achieve on our uh, target population? So that's one um, I think that we're um, really focused on. I think especially because as I laid out our four long-term outcomes, it's easy for us to have opportunities that are really exciting um, but we always have to kind of map that back to how it's going to directly impact the families and, um, that we care most about, because otherwise we could end up um, being broadly invested across high-impact opportunities that at the end of the day still don't actually touch the families that we care most about. Um, and then there's a brief on our website if you're interested in learning more. Um, it kind of walks through uh, what I presented in a little bit more detail and in kind of um, written form would be uh, Happy to answer any questions that may come up if you review that and would be happy to talk to your organizations more about the transformative impact grid um, if there's questions that arise. And if, if anyone um, has similar tools or is interested in adapting this, we'd love to see other people um, in their practices using similar frameworks. Yeah, in fact, I would say even if uh, anybody that is currently on the line is using a similar framework and wants to give us a quick uh, um, a quick rundown, uh, by all means, put something in the chat or feel free to unmute yourself and uh, and we can cover that. Uh, one question that came through, Matt, on that without uh, um, without getting you uh, off track here is around uh, the systemic impact among the different investments. Are you trying to track at all how the investments fit among themselves uh, uh, to, to create this transformative impact? That's a great question. Um, the short answer is yes. I think the grid as a tool um, helps us look at all the um, portions uh, kind of of a, of a sub-portfolio of investments on one map in terms of where they hope, hope, hope that they can go. I mentioned a, um, a little bit earlier around sector level capacity building. It helps us understand where there may be kind of white spaces or opportunities outside of uh, our current portfolio of investments that would help to optimize everything happening within um, the organizations we've invested. But I would say that the, the, the tiger or the 
the grid isn't really where that conversation takes place. It's more around the focus areas that I talked about. And so we have um, a focus area. Each of those has a theory of impact. Um, and we're looking kind of consistently across what activities have we, um, what research activities have we funded, where have we played a convening or um, collaboration building role, what types of uh, supportive policy have we supported, and then what does the direct investment portfolio look like? How does that constellation of activities, investments, all relate to the impact that we're trying to achieve towards the goals in that focus area? That's a little bit of a different framework that um, we're using, and actually this will be the first year um, that we'll present back to our investment team and our board um, our focus area impact briefs, which talk about the um, interrelationship between those investments and how they've worked together, hopefully to kind of create some synergy or um, um, portfolio effect in terms of impact. So I would say that the grid is a useful visualization tool in one regard, but it's really not um, at the moment where we spent the most energy around um, that portfolio effect or how, the, how our investments work um, in harmony kind of together to create a bigger level of impact. Great, thanks. Yep. There's also one um, question from Sean um, um, asking us to share some of those questions, um, kind of the guide of assessment of organizational effectiveness. We're, we'll be more than happy to share those, and we'll send those to you, Andrea, so you can distribute them to, um, to the group. So, of course. We'll do so. Thanks, Sean. Um, any other questions before we jump in into light bulbs? <laughs> okay. Let so, me try for one second to, to unmute everyone in case somebody on the on the phone wants to try. Hopefully nobody is doing weird background noise stuff as they get <laughs> unmuted and then I will remute everyone. Great. Okay. If anyone would like to ask a question, now you've unmuted. I'll remute you as needed. Okay. Go ahead, Luis. It looks like a question came in around um, using other standards like gears or impact um, investment standards and frameworks. That, that is a great question. Um, and I think it sits a little outside of the grid, but one of the, I had mentioned earlier that we have an impact term sheet. Um, so for every investment we make, um, the kind of the three critical impact questions um, we're tracking or impact elements are around that shared definition of success. So we really want to be on the same page with our investee around um, what type of impact they're trying to achieve and what type of impact we hope to see through our investment. Um, but we're also collecting output and outcome data. Um, We've had a really difficult time um, aligning that to any type of standard. And in fact, I think beyond gears, uh, we are more likely to align towards uh, the community indicators and outcomes that we're tracking um, within our long-term theory of change. So we have, I mentioned the four outcome areas, but we have a series of community uh, indicators and benchmarks that we're tracking around school readiness, um, low-income birth weights, uh, third grade reading scores, um, family asset building, um, wages and um, savings, all those types of things are all indicators we're tracking at the community level. The, the difficulty that we've had, which I think um, this would be an interesting conversation for people who want to have it another day, 
I think unlike kind of uh, years and other impact investing frameworks, um, most of what we're doing isn't really output oriented in the same way that we can track kind of um, quantitative um, output towards number of X um, services or um, products produced, um, jobs created. And so it's been challenging for us to have um, kind of that correlative uh, output that tracks to our outcome um, in our investments. And um, we've made a decision and, you know, we may go back and rethink it at some point in the future, but we've made a decision to not um, restrict our investments to adhere to a standard that makes it um, hard for the investee to track what they're actually doing um, because they're um, forced into a framework that doesn't actually fit what they're doing. So especially when you think about policy investments, and we fund a lot of um, collective impact or collaboration types of investments, a lot of them don't um, have easily trackable um, standardized measures. And so right now, I was just talking about this with my colleague a couple minutes ago, right now um, we're trying to do the dance around how we roll that type of investment level information up to a portfolio understanding. Um, there's a kind of, that's the downside of our approach is it, it, it makes it harder for us to synthesize at a portfolio or focus area level um, because we're looking at lots of apples and oranges and peaches and pears, outputs and outcomes. But hopefully what it does do is has a more meaningful um, level of relevance and relationship to what the investee is actually doing. Okay, so um, one of the things that we wanted also to do is um, the, the grid really helped us accelerate the innovation practice um, that we are kind of undergoing in right now, but um, Gary Community Investments has had a long history in terms of um, just entrepreneurial activity. As Matt mentioned, we had incubated programs like the Urban Land Conservancy, um, incubated um, kind of the first children-focused um, advo advocacy kind of program, and then a couple of other things that once we saw the gap in our community, um, we, we, we felt that we had a responsibility to capitalize them, to incubate them, and then make sure they had enough powder to actually uh, spin off from GCI and then um, kind of continue their journey. So we have done a couple of those things in our 40 plus um, years of history. We also, when we looked at our own structure, um, the, just the, the, the thinking about combining the for-profit and the philanthropic um, structure really made us think um, as, as a new kind of entrepreneur. And, and as we, we sometimes felt, um, especially Matt and I, that we were working for the most capitalized startup in the world um, because it was all new. We needed to recreate ourselves. We needed to kind of put different frameworks and things like that. And then, of course, on top of that, you put the sunsetting mandate, and that really kind of helped us realize that the clock was ticking, right? And, and it was great to have a huge deal of assets on our balance sheet, but with the goal of kind of alleviating poverty in the next 20 years for low-income children, we really needed to start thinking differently. So once um, the grid happened, um, we, we did this exercise that, that Matt alluded to in terms of, okay, how did we invest um, in 2016? And if we were to map 
the most significant investments that we think um, we made in 2016, where would those fall in the grid? And this is what we saw. So we saw this kind of um, very interesting graphic in front of us, and of course, you start asking different questions, right? And this is the power of having just a visual tool where you can actually react to what you're seeing. So um, the different colors uh, had to do with the different outcome areas of where those investments fell through. But the important thing is the next slide. Um, we saw these different buckets, right? We saw, to Matt's point before, we need to look for more investments in kind of searching for highly effective organizations that are making transformative impact. We also need to start thinking about how are we supporting those investments that we have done or those investments that feel compelling with capacity building efforts. And that would mean maybe more capital, maybe a different type of capital, maybe just connecting them, maybe spending time with them and sitting on an advisory board or a board seat um, and really trying to understand what are they missing to actually go from a less effective organization um, to a highly effective organization or move to the right in the horizontal axis. But then that blue box was really what was um, interesting for us to realize. There was this white space um, that really included things like startups startups having a, a very interesting business model, very interesting potential, but just because the management, they don't have still the track record to be a strong management uh, or to have enough kind of data to support it, they are considered within the grid as a less effective organization. So we said, okay, how do we start capitalizing on that white space, especially because if we have those 20 years in front of us, the right time to start thinking about innovation, to start thinking about incubating different programs is now. Hopefully, in the next 10 years, we can put a lot of efforts there. But then as we move on, uh, and let's say we are tw in 2027, um, we should be thinking about how do we support those platforms like the Urban Land Conservancy that have been created and then really catalyze the impact that they're having um, because then the time will be shorter for our organization to still exist. So um, the other thing that happened was the question of, okay, innovation is great. Um, we have heard so many definitions of innovation. We have heard, we have read so many things about innovation. And we really took a step back and said, what does innovation mean for Gary Community Investment? And then once we kind of realize that definition, where do we start? We have four outcome areas. We have all this work happening in front of us. So we asked the directors to take a look back in 2016 and really reflect on some of the lessons learned and challenges that they had. And it was very interesting for us that the investment director in the school readiness outcome area came up with these three lessons learned. The first one being, I had sourcing challenges. Um, we, we were um, expecting to see much more activity in uh, kind of the early childhood space, but just investment opportunities wasn't, they weren't there. Um, the second thing that, that, that she and, and the whole group saw was 
a lack of for-profit investment <coughs> into this outcome area. And we saw and we had plenty of conversations where, where people were waiting in the sidelines to start investing in the earlier years, but there wasn't vehicles uh, to actually absorb that capital and deploy it with um, just the right management team. Um, the third thing that we uh, experienced was that in 2016, we partnered with um, Uncharted, which is formerly the Unreasonable Institute, to run an accelerator. It was the first early childhood-focused accelerator to bring nonprofits and for-profit businesses together. And we hosted them here for about a week. And one of the things that we saw, this was June 2016, we saw that there was incredible potential for for-profit businesses to come and play and really scale the nonprofit interventions that had been proven. Uh, we also saw an incredible amount of research and data that was available for people that wanted to commercialize these solutions. But the other thing that we saw was an incredible amount of silos. So people were working on their own silos, and we saw an opportunity to um, really connect different silos and, and have people be convened together and, and explore different avenues. So once we had the right outcome area to start thinking about innovation and we saw the need and the board saw the need of we need to start thinking differently, um, then we really landed on, okay, let's do a lot of research. Um, but in order to actually do that and to understand what innovation means and how do we, how do we start doing this work, we did these three things. We um, realized that it was not the job of an investment director to actually define innovation for the whole organization. We really built a cross-department team, including Matt and a couple of other folks. Of course, uh, our investment director from early childhood was also part of the team, um, key part of the team. And we started really uh, dividing and conquer. And we said, okay, let's, let's really understand what other companies are doing across innovation. Let's really understand what other foundations are um, doing. Um, and we saw the models of Rockefeller, the Knight Foundation, a couple of others. And then we actually had um, some readings and calls with companies like uh, Disney and NASA and really trying to understand how they were using innovation to advance their own for-profit ventures. Um, so we did a lot of that. And then once we had a good knowledge of, okay, these are all the tools that we can use, and um, this is kind of what innovation means to us, then let's really build a plan, short-term plan, to really achieve potentially short-term results, but commit to action. And that included a lot of internal conversations with management, with um, the board, really making sure that we were moving in the right way. And then, of course, to Matt's point, um, he was really pushing us to evaluate everything <laughs> that we were putting in front of us as activities. So really being thoughtful about, okay, whatever strategy we are pursuing, what are some of the outputs and outcomes that we expect to see in the short term and the long term? Um, with that then, we landed on three um, discrete strategies. So we said, okay, in terms, of, in terms of sourcing, um, we have heard so many 
interesting things about prices and challenges. There was also a lot of narrative criticizing some of those. So we took, we took our time and we said, okay, if the price and the challenge are designed in a good way, a strategy of launching an early childhood price will definitely help accelerate sourcing and test and fund new ideas that are at different stages. So we said, let's go with that. Let's, let's really explore what that means and how we can actually activate that strategy. The second one, uh, which we named at the beginning unusual suspects, was more about what we saw in the accelerator, uh, early childhood accelerator, when we brought the um, superintendents of a couple of public districts, when we brought early child care providers, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and we put them in a room. And the magic that we saw there was people were really um, able to connect with the research that they needed. They were able to get the funding or at least the initial conversations to get the funding that they needed to scale. So the whole idea behind Unusual Suspects was how do we start building in a more cohesive and intentional way bridges from the early childhood sector all the way to finance? and entrepreneurship and venture capital and private equity and how do we make those bridges work. Um, the third strategy was more to react to the lack of for-profit investments that we were seeing in this sector. And it was more the possibility of is there a way that GCI can catalyze um, different vehicles or funding that will help these new ventures that potentially will be created uh, with these other challenges um, and unusual suspect strategies that we're putting together. So we are here, I think, excited to show you after kind of nine months, so really short term, nine months of, of research, real, realization of what we were um, needing to do, and then where we are right now. So I'll go with kind of the first of the strategies. Right now we are, um, supporting two initiatives. Um, one, bless you, one is um, really uh, being led by us in a partnership with OpenIDO, which is one of the arms of, or business units from IDO. Um, and again, they have incredible experience in running these types of challenges and, and prices. Um, most of the team had either worked with the XPRIZE Foundation or Ashoka Changemakers. And the whole idea is how can, how can we together partner to create a prize to really surface different set of solutions for young children from zero to three. Um, and that prize will be potentially launched by the end of October this year. Um, the second strategy is throughout our outreach and engagement and, re and research, we learn about New Schools Venture Fund. Um, and plenty of you might know about the organization based in Oakland. They have been around for about 20 years, um, but it wasn't until the past four years that they started doing these challenges to really support um, the charter school network across the U.S., but also some of these tools are really transforming how school districts are being able to measure outcomes to be more effective and more efficient. So they have done challenges before with 
um, dual lang uh, language learners with special ed. Um, so we found that they were actually just about to launch a challenge that was a pre-K to second grade challenge. So again, we are supporting that uh, process and that challenge was launched in August and the whole process will be finished by mid-2018. On the next one, the unusual suspects strategy, um, this was um, a, kind of an interesting conversation when we began because we, we saw an opportunity to start building those bridges by looking for existing conferences, venues, events, or programs that had enough mass and enough um, kind of brand recognition and looking if there was a way to elevate the early childhood um, narrative and the early childhood challenges that we were trying to solve. So this is um, the first partnership that we, um, that we came about with and it's a program called 101010 which is um, currently being run here in Colorado but they are expanding to other cities. Um, and 101010 is an accelerator, but the way that they do things is they bring 10 prospective serial CEOs, serial entrepreneurs that have had a fantastic track record in running at least three or four companies. Um, and then they have them um, in the same kind of space for about 10 days and they expose them to what they call 10 wicked problems. And what's interesting is that those wicked problems are being sourced by uh, customers. So the program that we partnered with, it was 101010 Health, and we managed to sponsor two problems that were really focused on some of the challenges that we were trying to solve. Um, but the, those problems had been sourced by um, the, the Health Foundation of the State, United uh, Health, Ventura, um, Cigna, Edna, like really, really big and potential customers that if solutions were being born out of this program, you already know who to sell that solution to. Um, so we're excited to say that this program was run in June and two of the prospective CEOs have picked up two of the problems that we had um, sponsored and they're creating two new for-profit ventures, surrounded themselves with the right researchers, and the right potential capital to really make it successful. Um, so that's one. The next one is a conference that you, uh, most of you will be familiar with. So SOCAP, we um, had the opportunity to reach out to um, the curator of the program back in January, I think, and we said, hey, we're looking at this innovation thing. Um, is there an, a way that we can elevate for the first time at SOCAP a whole track that will speak about the challenges, opportunities, um, and for-profit investments that we're seeing in the early childhood space. And um, they, they, they have been seeing a little bit of momentum and energy in the early childhood space, so they agreed to that. And we curate the whole early childhood track. So now we have nine sessions. Two of them will be uh, plenary sessions, uh, six panels that will be speaking about um, not only innovations and kind of opportunities, but also how disruptive technologies will be playing a major role in uh, solving some of these early childhood challenges. Um, we'll be also hosting a reception and 
Um, hopefully, we'll be having um, some good drinks also. <laughs> um, this is kind of what's going to be happening at SOCAP. Uh, most of these players were attracted to participate in the panel. So as you can see, um, it will be people from IBM Watson, Care.com, of course, Omidyar, Khan Academy, the Caprock Group, who is our financial advisor. And these uh, all folks will be on one place speaking about um, the challenges and opportunities in early childhood. And for us, then after we saw this, the, the possibility was, okay, so once we have, um, we have this group together focused on early childhood, is there a way that we can then guide that impact to our low-income families and children in Colorado? Um, and the last one, the last strategy was more about how, how are we thinking about capitalizing the sector? And um, if you look at that first, kind of that, that graphic of the capital continuum uh, from grants to all the way to Series C, we did a little bit of research on where, where, where is the capital and what capital is flowing into the early childhood side, especially for for-profit ventures. So we saw a lack of capital flowing all the way from grants to seed, a little bit on late seed, and then there was actually capital available after um, the Series A conversation started to happen. So we said, okay, if we really want to spark innovative uh, ventures, we ought to really start thinking about how are we making sure they have the right capital to actually advance these conversations. So um, there's a couple of things that um, are happening right now, but um, if you see kind of below the early childhood capital focus strategy that we have, there's three conversations happening right now. The first one is we're beginning to think internally about um, having an angel fund where we will be able to invest anywhere from $25,000 to $100,000 specifically for um, new ventures that are being formed um, and are trying to tackle early childhood challenges with the right mentors, with the right research, and we're willing to play that convening, that networking um, kind of role to make sure those entrepreneurs are connected into the right networks. The next bullet point is more a fund that we are planning to also launch at some point where we're, we will be using grants and PRI capital to provide those to our nonprofit partners based in Colorado so they can then subsidize or acquire some of the services and technologies of those for-profit companies to really build a case of why this uh, consumer base and this market really makes sense to support nonprofits and low-income families. So we're trying to be a little bit creative and also there's a conversation about um, how are we making sure that if we are providing this type of capital to disrupt a little bit the, the, the for-profit market, uh, what does that mean, and what what considerations should be should we be thinking about? And then the last bullet point is really again born out of a couple of conversations with a lot of help from the Caprock Group and um, and their advice on is there really out there a fund manager with the right track record and the right knowledge about the space that could help us manage the first and of early childhood learning and development funds 
that might be a 25 to $30 million fund, seed fund nationwide that could support this effort, especially in that seed or late seed um, kind of round of capital. So I'm happy to, to, to tell you that at SOCAP, we will be potentially close to um, announce a partnership with this fund manager and moving forward in catalyzing this new fund. Um, so the last uh, slide, and I'll let Matt kind of speak about, about this slide, but when we started, we really thought that all these strategies were going to be really discreet and in different buckets. And as we went through the journey, um, we continuously kind of came to that whiteboard and said, it's so interesting that this is really complementing this other strategy. And um, um, so I'll let Matt speak a little bit about this graphic and, and what that means for us. Yeah, I think as Luis was saying at the top of his presentation that we almost accidentally landed in these three buckets of a prize, unusual suspects, and then a fund. And I think we kind of knew that's where we wanted to go, but um, struggled to understand how it all related. And we, you know, as we as we've been very careful to um, present this to a board in a way that's meaningful for them, because this is as much presenting strategy as actual investments. Um, and we finally kind of landed on this is actually a giant pipeline that we're trying to de um, develop and influence that all will eventually lead to improved early childhood outcomes in Colorado. And so when you start kind of putting those pieces together on the very front end of that pipeline, we need new ideas. And so um, investments like OpenIDEO and the prize that we'll be launching, um, which will have three kind of framing questions within it to source innovation around parenting, early childhood experiences, and the role that communities can play. Um, in supporting early childhood development, zero to three, and then the new schools um, venture fund prize around the, um, the, the pre-K uh, three range. That's all about kind of getting, um, opening up the aperture and getting the, um, a, a new pipeline of ideas. Those types of organizations need support um, to be investment ready. Um, we're also focusing around, as Luis just talked about, how we create more capital that's available and willing to support early childhood investments. Um, and really when you see that capital, um, uh, the capital portion of this graphic and as those arrows continue, this is where we start to double down in terms of how we invest um, to support the growing and scaling of these ideas that eventually reach um, outcomes in Colorado. And the kind of beauty of the unusual suspects as Luis was describing it is, um, I think, you know, from what we've learned and we, it's been kind of validated by others we've talked to, any innovation strategy needs um, to kind of broaden the tent and create a broader diversity of ideas, talent, entrepreneurs, um, co-conspirators um, that play a role across that entire pipeline from the ideas themselves to technical assistance and support to um, adding research to an idea that may um, not have the proof behind it to create the value, how to um, solicit investment um, or invest, investors to think about how they could place their capital. Um, and so it's kind of come together in a really exciting way for us to think about how, at the end of the day, all of this, um, all of these moving parts, um, you know, in the, in, at the end of the day, hopefully lead to kind of impact on the ground in Colorado. Yeah, and I think to summarize um, that last comment from Matt, I think, um, again, the whole idea is we believe that bringing um, innovation into our organization and 
have the opportunity to elevate Colorado as a place where you can test new ideas, there's capital to, to take that risk, will potentially then elevate Colorado as um, a state that welcomes um, innovation, that welcomes early childhood, and then, of course, in the long term, this will ultimately impact um, the, the long-term vision that, uh, which we started this presentation with. And I think the, the, the whole journey of our innovation practice really um, was anchored on it's good to do you know, innovation for the sake of innovation, but it's not good enough. For us, innovation really needed to be honed in the way that we were thinking about problem solving, about our outcome areas and about the right timing and the right need to start thinking differently about engaging different folks, helping us to achieve that long-term outcome that we um, set up to have by 2035. Um, so with that, um, I think before we turn it back to you, Andrea, with some questions and answer, uh, Q&A kind of time, a few takeaways for um, our listeners here. I think there's an ability for everyone in this call to um, modify the grid, to um, chat with us, and, and we're more than happy to tell you kind of some of the lessons learned, the things that we have seen that we missed, and, um, but it's all about iteration, right? It's all about um, continuous improvement. Um, as, as you kind of also be, uh, become more interested about innovation, there are so many um, articles out there. There's a great book that we have been referring to throughout our process called, called The Ten Types of Innovation, where it really explains that innovation um, is not usually coming from one place, but it can be the way you brand yourself, the way that you use communications, the way that you think about business model differently, um, strategy, and things like that. So it's, it's very inspiring to start seeing what other organizations are doing and then reflecting that back to your own organization and how can you really apply your own, your own toolkit. Um, uh, we also realized as we were going through the path of what are we trying to achieve, there were a lot of different things that would take seven years or ten years to actually prove out, but there were multiple efforts that could produce small wins. And I think it, it has been key for us to see how those small wins really ignite the energy around management, board, and other team members to actually um, be willing to try some of these tools in their own work areas. Um, number four, really critical, there is also a book called The Medici Effect um, that speaks about um, the importance of finding new partners that haven't been exposed to your line of work and being presented with the challenges that you have in your industry and how that could just create incredible innovations that will help you advance um, and, and kind of create new solutions. Um, again, just reiterating the importance of connecting all these efforts to your overall mission, your overall goal and then really understanding is this working and then have that evaluation overlay um, in every effort that you're trying to put together. Um, and with that, I think that's, um, that's what we wanted to share with you um, during this conversation. Thank you so much for 
um, hearing us out. And, and again, turn it back to you, Andrea, for kind of a little bit of Q&A. I know we have about eight minutes more, but, um, um, but that's, that's what we wanted to share with you today. Fantastic. Thank you both uh, so much. That was uh, remarkably interesting, uh, and uh, and I loved uh, the flux that you did, uh, um, or the the way in which you you went through the the whole history of the present and the future of this. I just want to lift up a quick uh, thing based on um, some of the prior discussions that we've been having on these webinars. Uh, uh, of noticing how this lines up with uh, the. Um, uh, the, the discussions on uh, capital actually being at the service of the social change itself, which uh, if I am interpreting this, uh, this grid correctly, means that uh, the community is asking where the capital is needed, starting from that standpoint and not chasing deals or chasing funds where they might not actually exist, which I think we're seeing quite a bit of in the industry. And even going one step beyond that, not just saying, okay, let's look at where the capital is needed, but let's look at where the social change is needed that would require capital. And if there is no pipeline there, well, let's start building that pipeline going all the way back to that uh, innovation and experimentation piece, which I think is a, is a very nice add-on to um, to the way in which we've been thinking about how can the capital be truly at the service of the of the social change. Um, opening it up for questions, and I think that um, uh, Daniel Brett from PCV, if you're still on the line, uh, I understand you wanted to make a comment on the um, on the work that PCV has been doing with the Impact Terms project and how that fits within here. Um, yes, no, thanks. Uh, thanks so much, Andrea, and uh, uh, wonderful presentation. I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to, to let you, uh, to mention some work that, uh, related work that PCB uh, is actually just kicking off in this area. So we're, uh, we're launching a project uh, called the Impact Due Diligence Initiative uh, in partnership with, uh, with Bridges uh, Impact Management Project. And what, what we're seeking to do is really kind of identify uh, what are the, the tools and frameworks that uh, are currently being used in the, the broader impact investing industry uh, to really help investors kind of, uh, kind of make sort of more systematic, rigorous uh, assessments of the expected impact and mission alignment uh, of investments and kind of building that into their, their processes. And, and what we're hoping to do is develop kind of a, a guide for investors who, who, who may want to, to, to begin to do this but may not know where to start. And so... Uh, we're, we're just kicking the project off, and, and uh, haven't found many others that that um, that really have developed uh, tools like like yours. So you know, great to learn about the work you're doing, and would just would love to to speak further and, and tell you more about that work, and, uh, and and kind of rope you into that that project. Great, thank you so much, Daniel, for mentioning that. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll share your information with uh, with Matt and Luis, so you all can be in touch. Great, Luis and I met years ago, but uh, great, it will be great to connect again. Yeah, it's great. Great to see you again, Daniel. Yeah. Perfect. Um, let's see. Anything else from uh, from anyone on the line? So maybe I'll share one last uh, one last quick thought um, that came up again from the uh, 
the thinking through the the systemic uh, implications of uh, of this work i was uh, i was reminded of some conversations we've been having about the uh, the problem when you have philanthropic capital uh, supporting uh, venture capital uh, down the line, right? So where you have this uh, experiments with uh, with prices or with innovations that can ultimately become uh, venture capital investable, as we've seen uh, uh, from one of the slides, much of the gap in capital is before the Series A, but then the result is capital that essentially benefits from the de-risking of the um uh, of the enterprises that has been done in the early stage by the philanthropic capital and as you know our position is often that uh, that is the right system to have in many cases where the only capital that will come in is the philanthropic capital however we've been exploring more and more ways in which there can be a return to that philanthropic capital um, they can both compensate for the risk taken and share some of the upside uh, for those investments uh, and also uh, repopulate that pool of funds that could then be used for other similar innovations. And uh, for those of you that saw our recent report on uh, innovative financing structures for impact enterprises that we put out with the Inter-American Development Bank, there is a section in there on um, innovative philanthropic capital structures, looking at how uh, through recoverable grants uh, you can actually have a share of the upside from uh, something that is booked as a grant, but retains that opportunity that if things go well, um, uh, the, some of the capital is coming back. I would encourage you all to, to look into that again as a way of, uh, um, of avoiding really subsidizing venture capital and down the road private equity investments oftentimes without that uh, capturing that upside. Um, Luis, Matt, I'll turn it over to you for a last comment if there are no questions. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, I just have to echo Luis, thanks for the opportunity uh, to talk about what we're doing. Hopefully it added a little bit of value or insight into your own work. Um, you know, I, and I would just pick up on the comment you made a, a minute ago, Andrea, about kind of how how we're how we're thinking about using the grid and the connection of capital to impact i would say you know for us we have the luxury of being place-based in the sense that we do actually have um, a very kind of clear mission and vision that um, while it's audacious at least in our minds has some level of achievability um, i i definitely acknowledge um, impact investors and family offices that have a broader impact mandate and the difficulty that that creates um, connecting their capital directly to the impact when the pool of opportunities is much bigger and the problems they're trying to solve are somehow even bigger than the ones we're trying to solve. And at the same time, I think um, it's been really fascinating on our innovation strategy to be thinking well beyond our um, state border um, in terms of how we create the right conditions for innovation um, and high impact opportunities that we'll eventually bring back into Colorado. So uh, maybe building on Luis and this Medici effect, not only is it an issue of networks and people, it's also ability to kind of go beyond um, your typical kind of physical areas of um, exploration. I think that was a really um, important comment uh, or consideration for our board to take the risk to be sourcing um, a seed fund, a innovation prize, two innovation prizes, and a bunch of um, human and financial investment in things like SOCAP. Um, 
that really are creating a ton of value outside of Colorado. And the end goal um, at the end of the day is to bring it all back home. So again, I think that um, maybe I'll just leave with those two comments. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matt and Luis, uh, for the presentation today and for all the great work that you've been doing. Um, thank you to all those who joined us. If you're interested in the work that we're doing with the Investor Network, please feel free to reach out to us, uh, in particular to Kurt Lyon, Kurt at transformfinance.org, or to me, Andrea, at transformfinance.org. Thanks very much again. Great having you here, and congratulations. See you all at SoCap, I imagine. Thank you. Bye-bye.